Hi, this is Michael Buffer, and welcome to the Box Hard Podcast. Hello, everyone. This is Mikey Garcia. It's the monster from the swamps, Regis Ruguru Program. Hey, what's up? This is King Carlos Molina, former IBF world champ. This is Michael, the bounty hunter, 2012 Olympian and your people's champ. This is Charlie Edwards, flyweight champion of the world. This is Fast Eddie Chambers, and you're listening to the Box Hard Podcast with my main man, Joey Coastman. Hello everybody and welcome to episode 344 of the Box Hard Podcast. I'm your host Joey Coastman. I'm joined as ever by former heavyweight world title challenger, Mr. Fast Eddie Chambers. Eddie, how you doing my man? I'm good my man, how about you? Always good when speaking with you, Eddie. That is the truth. We're going to waste no time. We're going to dive straight into the review part of the show. We're going to start here. A card that took place on Friday, the 13th of May, uh, last Friday at the Indigo at the O2 in Greenwich, London, United Kingdom. It was live on Channel 5. couple fights to mention on the un- on the undercard before I get on to the main event. Um... Brad Pauls with a win. He's now 16-0, a split decision win over 10 rounds against Ryan Kelly, who's now third, uh, sorry, 16-4. Um, elsewhere, we had a win for Harvey Horn. He's now 10-1, a points win over 6 against Alejandro Torres, who's now 2-11. Harlem Eubank with a great win, a knockout in round 2 against Sean Masher Dodd, who's now 17-7 with a draw. It was a left hand from Harlem Eubank. I've got to say, the, the second round knockout for Eubank, the money paid out would have been would have, would have uh, the odds would have been you know massive on that that was unexpected brilliant stuff for him 14 and 0 now Harlem Eubank certainly um from a real talented family when it comes to boxing at least and the main event Linus Yudofia now 17 and 1 he lost a split decision over 12 rounds against Denzel Bentley for the vacant British middleweight title Denzel Bentley now 16 and 1 with 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 a draw um it regains the British title um I got to say that fight could have gone either way to be completely honest with you um you know I felt that um Linus Udofia boxed really, really, really well early on. And then I think, and I kind of suspected it really, that Bentley would come on strong quite late on. And that is what happened. And like I say, it was really, really, really close. It was a split decision in the end, as I said. Um, So, yeah, very, very narrow there on the cards for Denzel Bentley. Um, Marcus McDonald had the widest card, eight rounds to four. I'm not sure about that. It was. It seemed to be a lot closer than that. I think you could even arguably give uh, Linus Udofia the first four rounds straight away there. Um, okay, so that is that. Moving out now to a card that took place in Canada, in Richmond Hill, Ontario, over here. Return to the ring for John Long Zhang, who is now 19-0. and He actually went the distance for the first time in his pro career. He was 18-0 and with... Um, with with 18 knockouts, he hadn't boxed for five years. I'm not sure what's kept him out of the ring, but anyway, it's good to have the Chinese, um, the Chinese southpaw heavyweight back in the ring. Um, and yeah, he is 40 years of age now. He goes by the name, the nickname, the Dragon King. 
19 and 0, 18 KOs. Um, anyway, that was that in Canada. Um, moving out now to the Accord Hotels Arena in Paris, France. Over here, Tony Yoka lost his O. The Olympic champion now 11 and 1. A majority decision. That was a shocker. A majority decision lost to Martin Bacoli, who's now 18 and 1. Um, unbelievable fight to be honest with you you could see as soon as it started that the demeanor the energy of Martin Bacoli seemed to be on another level to Yoka's and just the the way he was pushing Yoka back I mean Yoka wasn't even flicking out the jab he was just letting him walk in and I've got to say it you know Martin Bacoli isn't the quickest I think his timing is okay but he's not the quickest and he shouldn't be able to hit you so easily and I was very very shocked at how easily Yoka was being tagged um, he was down, I can't remember what round it was in now um, can't remember what round it was in now I think it was uh, I, think it, I think it was the very first round if I'm not mistaken and that was shocking I, I was thinking wow and then he ends up getting up and I thought that Yoka would win on points and I even thought if it was going to be close they're just going to give it to Yoka boxing politics and all the rest of that but it ended up being so wide in the end that some people didn't even give Yoka a round and Martin Bacoli somehow won um, on points but like I say one card was a draw and some people are saying that's the worst scorecard that's ever been seen in boxing so yeah it was it was mad but um full credit to 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 um Bacoli I have to say I think he's he's done quite well since losing to Michael Hunter he was a little bit kind of uh, quiet for a while I think he had a couple fights he was able to beat Sergei Kuzmin um, but, you know, it's good to see him get this win here because I feel like that's what his career needed. You know, uh, African heavyweight based in Scotland and it hasn't really been easy for him, to be honest. He was on, um, I can't remember if it was, uh, he was with he was with Cyclone for a couple of fights, I think. And was that on ITV, I think, back in the day? I've even forgotten what channel that was on. But he was, he was on terrestrial TV a couple of times. And then since then, he's been on a couple of Eddie Hearn shows. But it's all just been a bit slow. And, you know, we, we've kind of um, seen his progress come to a bit of a stop. So it's great to see him back, you know, with momentum here, I guess. I guess he has to build from this here. And it's just a great win for him to beat and take the O away from an Olympic champion in their backyard, by the way. I think that that's a great achievement for him, so I'm, I'm very pleased for him. Moving out now to the BJK at Katla Arena in Istanbul, Turkey. Over here, it was a weird one. Avni Yildirim, former... Um, mandatory challenger to Canelo he rematched a guy that he completely shut out in his last fight Yusuf Kangwell this time though Kangwell knocked Yildirim out in round 9 shocker there for the vacant WBC Asian Boxing Council super middleweight title some people saying potentially fight of the year I think Kangwell put Yildirim down then in the mid rounds I think Yildirim come back and uh, dropped Kangwell then Kangwell comes back and stops Yildirim in round 9 sounded crazy crazy but I didn't actually see it um Avni Yildirim I mean what on earth is he doing now um this one took place at the Dignity Health Sports Park in Carson California USA it was live on Showtime um let's start with 
the yeah, let's go straight to the main event. Jamel Charlo now 35 and 1 with a draw. A KO in round 10 over Brian Castagno, who's now 17 and 1 with two draws. Obviously, it was a total undisputed fight there for the WBC, WBA, WBO, and IBF Super Welterweight World Titles. Castagno down twice in that. 10th round, um, and he loses his O as well, obviously, in this rematch here. Um, I felt the first round was a really good round. It was, for me, impossible to split them. Charlo was fighting off the back foot. He was countering. Castaño seemed to be bringing the heat. He was aggressive. I gave that first round a 10-10. Round two, I gave to Charlo. I think the round ended very excitingly. Both guys landing big shots on each other's chins. Um, Round three, I gave to Charlo. Round four was a bit of a crazy round. It was an unbelievable finish to it. Both men looked staggered at the end a little bit there. Um, Again, I was kind of on the fence. I'm not sure who to give the round to. Um, round five was another unbelievable round. Um, ebbs and flows. Every punch in the book was landed by both guys. I gave the round to Castaño. Uh, round six, I was starting to think at that point it was potentially turning into fight of the year type stuff. I mean, I gave Castaño the round. I had, I think, three, three two to Charlo and one even round in there. It was very uh, very good action up to that point. Round seven I gave to Charlo. Round eight was was a really close round. I mean, I'd probably edge it to Charlo. Round nine, um, Charlo at this point wasn't overcommitting at all. He was picking his moments to throw punches well, and he was using his superior footwork. He was using his superior hand speed, and every time he got caught, he'd fire back and land something in response. You know, he was fighting a smart fight. I gave him that ninth round. Round 10, of course, Charlo initially puts Castagno down with a left hook. Castagno kind of fell to his knees. It was a little bit of a delayed reaction. Um... The referee allowed him to get back up, and even though Castaño, I felt, was clearly all over the place, the legs were gone, um, you know, it, it probably should have been stopped right then and there, but the first punch that connected with him put him down again, and of course the referee then waved it off. Um, it came out of nowhere as well, like, you know, Castaño getting caught with that first punch that, that put him down the, the first time. That kind of just came out of nowhere. It really happened very fast. And all of a sudden, Charlo gets the knockout win. I was very impressed with him. Um, He deserves a lot of credit, I think, Eddie. Because obviously, he had that rematch in the past with Tony Harrison. The first fight was was really kind of controversial. Could have gone either way. This one, the first fight was Mm -hmm. was controversial. And most people felt Castaño did enough in that first fight. But this one here, to close the book on Castaño in this manner. I mean... Yeah, people are rightly so arguing that Charlo should be in that top 10 pound for pound without a doubt, and I think they're probably right. Yeah, yeah, I agree. I mean, and I'm not the biggest Charlo fan on earth, but I think um, the performance he put out was was a great performance. He showed a lot of different dimensions. He showed toughness. He showed boxing ability. showed power, of course, and he showed it a little later uh, in in the fight, which, you know, he said after the fight – you know, my power, I think he said, not my power carries late, but he says I get stronger as the fight goes on. He kind of proved it a little bit in this one. Um, and even in their previous fight, I think he did well at the end of the fight. So, I mean, he proved that if he, you know, if if people are willing to vote <laughs> that in, but uh, vote him in, he, he probably does deserve to be at least in the conversation. He's an undisputed champion, first one at 54. So you got to give him credit where it's due. And like I said, I'm not the biggest Charlo fans because of, you know, some of their antics at times, but I mean, he, he's one of the best fighters in the world. You got to give it to him. And 
and and, and as far as the how the fight went and the knockout, knockout in, in, in particular, I think the, the way he fell is with, with the delayed reaction, I think that it was such a surprise to me and is because of how well Castaño was taking his punches and how he would just come back and they would just keep going back and forth. Even when he started to box a little bit, he was, I think he was getting hit cleaner and he was having to fall into certain traps. And he was also, like you said, returning off of everything, just making sure that he, uh, I'm sorry, making sure he uh, was always able to give him something in return to keep him on his toes. You know what I mean? And I think, uh, I think what he did, I think the performance was one of his better performances. And we, you spoke about it that, you know, he fought Tony and uh, Tony Harrison in a rematch and ended up winning. He did the same here. The performance was a little better with Tony and his, and the rematch. No, I, I can't even say that. Cause I think Tony Harrison was winning the fight up to the point of the stoppage with, you know, Charlo stopping him. But, um, I think he was performing even better in that fight, but he's still on the short end. And in this fight, I think he was uh, uh, definitely performing better. His boxing ability, uh, he showed it more. He showed it. He, he showed the toughness. I mean, he's always been tough and, and you know, a pretty good chin um, from what I've seen. But uh, he showed a lot of, like I said, a lot of different wrinkles, a lot of different dimensions that were quality. And, I, you know, I got I, I respect what he's done and hopefully he gets – putting that top pound for pound list and, and, and can put some more big fights, uh, you know, under his belt. Like I'm looking forward to that possible fight with, uh, well, I don't, I'm not going to say possible fight. I don't know if he's going to stay or stick around at that weight, but with uh, Demetrius Andre, guys like that, I think those would be interesting fights. I know there's not a lot of people behind that kid, but he's a talented dude and he's been calling him out for a while. So maybe now, you know, the opportunity will, uh, will come. With Jamel Charlo, yeah, I think Jamel, right? He's because he's, because uh, Jamel Andre's at fifty four. I think Andre, no, yeah, Andre, Andre's champ at one sixty. He moved up to one sixty. No, he's been at one sixty. Uh, he's been at one sixty. I think he's moved up now to one six eight, Eddie. Oh yeah, you sure? Yeah, yeah, Charles. Because I remember, I thought it, I thought he was at one fifty four. No, he had a belt. At well, you know what? He did fight. Ago. That's right. Yeah, yeah, that's right. He did move up. Yeah, he right. He fought. He had that belt at one fifty four. Yeah, that was a while ago. I guess I'm living in the past. <laughs> but, no, but it can but be anyway. it can be confusing between the two Charlo twins because yeah, obviously that is right. I think I might have been yeah. I, Jamal has been the calling him out. Yeah. yeah, Jamal's been calling him out. They're both at one sixty, but I think Andre right. has now moved to one six eight anyway. So I yeah, don't well, think he's going to fight either Charlo at the minute. Yeah, well, oh well, uh, wishful thinking. But anyway, uh, well, there's some other big fights out there for him. Um, I've seen two guys in particular. Uh, Zhu's son, Tim Zhu, was said he wanted to have a shot at him, and he also, uh, and also, um, towering inferno. Sebastian Fondora was also talking like they wanted to get at him, so that's those are those are exciting fights, to You know what I mean? I would love to see those, but we'll, we'll see. We will see. And on the undercard, Philly's very own friend of the show. Jaron Ennis, now 29-0, a KO in round two against Custio Clayton, who's now 19-1 with a draw. Clayton uh, down uh, in, in that in that second round. He, he, he Yeah, I don't think he beat the count in the end. I can't remember if he beat the count or, or didn't now. I think he might have maybe got back up and didn't fancy it. Um, once again, Boots Ennis is just, you know, annihilating this level of opposition. Um, and I've said it before, you know, I think he looks tremendous. He does. I mean, God, like, 
he, he does seem to have it all and he is such an exciting talent and you know certainly one to watch for the future i don't want to say the future of boxing just yet let's let's be sensible but um it all looks fabulous it does but i still my only problem is i mean i liked it when he boxed lipinets and stuff like that you know a former world champion a guy that doesn't just get you know beaten up easily doesn't get stopped has only lost to good fighters but this here i know the guy was undefeated and i think there was to be honest i think i could probably give him a pass because i think it, it was some sort of eliminator so we can give him a pass but i just think well 29 and 0 now and the the resume isn't that that thick if you get what i'm saying still hasn't been past six rounds and that's not because no one can possibly take Ennis past round six. It's just because the matchmaking has been so bad that almost speaks for itself. You know, it's like um, when Deontay Wilder hadn't gone past four rounds or whatever it was. It was like, wow, it's so impressive to to the casual fan. And then you go, hang on a minute, who's he been boxing? Oh, he's boxed absolutely no one. And then when he did step up in levels, he wasn't able to get people out as easy. And I'm talking about getting in with someone like Stiverm. That was the guy that took him 12 rounds for the first time. It was like, wow, that goes to show the, the, the really poor level of opposition. And I'm not saying that Ennis's level of opposition has been as bad as Deontay Wilder's first 30-odd 30, 30 fights. But um, he's, he's at 29-0 and 0 now, and I think he's only been in with one former world champion. And I just think it's it's just not good enough to, to warrant that many wins. And he's that good that he's taking everyone out in six rounds as a welterweight. You know, they they need to step up the, the opposition for him. Um, yeah, I don't um, want to go off too long on it, Eddie, but can you agree or disagree yeah. with anything I've said there? I can agree. I can agree in certain ways, but um, most of these guys aren't standing in line to fight them either. And I think yeah. that's where the difficulty is coming in. You know what I'm saying? So it's like when you when you want to put them in there with a with a with a top level guy, it's like, well, let's look at the guys that are out there. You know what I mean? And and do you think that they're willing to take a chance on like if you think of a guy like and he's at forty seven, so if you're thinking of a guy like uh, Earl Spence and then a guy like Terrence Crawford now that those are the two best guys at the in the division right now. Okay, so we know that that probably won't happen right away. But even Danny Garcia, you know what I'm saying, uh, is like looking at that like, nah, you know, why, why would I jeopardize my opportunity to get back in with a bigger fight, a big, a huge fight and fight this kid who's, who may stop me or beat me? You know what I'm saying? And then you got guys like um, uh, Keith Thurman and, and, and even a few other guys that are coming back and they want to get back into the good graces. They're not, they're not going to want to step in with this kind of kid. You know what I'm saying? So you're going to have to go long down the list, far down the list, and that's what's ended up happening. That's what's ended up, you know, these guys are like, well, I ain't got no choice. I got to fight. Like, even like Castillo's Clayton said at the end of the fight, he was like, man, I had no choice. I had to fight you. You know what I mean? There's no other way. I got I to gotta earn my keep, and, and there's nobody else that wants to fight you, so I got to do it. If he could have won, he'd be like, oh, crap. Uh, you know, he puts himself in a hell of a position. But nobody's going to want to fight dudes. So it's going to be a really, really difficult time for him on his way up and to get that fight, that signature fight that he needs. He's got a couple of decent ones, but he does need a bigger fight to get into the rankings to the where he needs to go in order to get the fights that he wants. Yeah, and it's such a tricky one because he's in that kind of position now where he's, you know, he's like, a, you know, a contender, but he has boxed not fabulous 
competition, so he hasn't looked mm. beatable in any way. He hasn't showed a bad chin, hasn't showed bad speed, hasn't showed any weaknesses at all yet because of the matchmaking. And that has almost, I think, now worked against him in the end because, yeah, he's 29-0, and 0, fabulous, but... As you say, you're right. No one wants to fight him. And and when you're in that position, I guess sometimes when you're a prospect on the come up, people think, oh, I can beat that prospect. He's got no experience. But when you turn into right. having 29 pro fights and you're everyone's talking about you being the future, yeah, why would you want to fight this guy? You lose to him, you're not going right. to get much credit. And... Uh, and and if you if you well sorry you beat him you're not going to get much credit and if you lose to him you're you're in a terrible place so yeah he doesn't mm. really have much um, he's high risk low reward and um, yeah that's the position he's in but no it's uh, it, it's interesting because again I I would say like I'm gonna I just don't want anyone to scream at me here but I'm gonna compare him momentarily <laughs> to Connor Ben. And I'm going to say, Connor Ben, you know, he showed some vulnerabilities. That's why I think people are um, more interested in, for example, fighting Connor Ben because he's shown these little things that perhaps people could exploit. And he, by the way, people have come and tried and he's he's annihilated people in unbelievable fashion. Connor Ben at the minute, oh my God, he's on fire. Like, honestly, he deserves everything he gets at the minute in terms of the credit he's getting. But he showed little chinks in his armor. Whereas Ennis, and I want to say Ortiz Jr. a little bit, but probably not as much as Ennis. At the minute, Ennis, everything he touches turns to turns to diamonds. You know, it's, it's, it's just everything's gone mm-hmm. perfect. Um... Anyway, moving on, we're going to move now to the forum in Inglewood, California. This one was on Fight TV. Um, I've got to be completely honest, I fell asleep and woke up several times during this fight card, and I haven't watched it back, but what I can tell you is that all three of Fernando Vargas's sons picked up wins, two of them with first-round knockout wins, uh, those being Fernando Vargas, he moved to 6-0, and a first-round knockout against the previously undefeated Terence Jarman, who's now 3-1. and um, Emiliano Vargas made his pro debut. Apparently, he's the most um, uh, talented of the three. I think they all agree on that. He made his pro debut with a first-round KO against Mark Salgado, who's now 1-2. and two. And Amado Vargas turned 4-0 and with a 4 uh, fourth round unanimous decision over <laughs> Anal Dudo, which we mentioned last week. Don't need to go and go in, go in on him again, and that even <laughs> sounded wrong. Um, <laughs> um, moving up the card once again. I don't know if you heard about this, Eddie. You probably did, to be honest. But Evan Holyfield, the son of Evander, knocked out brutally in round two. Um, I say knocked out brutally. Oh, no. he, didn't, he didn't get slept, but um, he, he fell face first on the canvas against a, a, a guy who's a part-time boxer, part-time electrician, who has now got a record of 7-5. and five. He had work on Monday. I don't know if he ended up going in or not. He was very, of course, um, you know, excited and happy with his performance. But yeah, he knocked out Evan Holyfield, who was about to become 10-0. and 0, And Evan Holyfield... I'm going to just paint the picture here. If you were to bet £100 or $100 on Evan Holyfield, you'd get back $1 or £1 on top of your stake. That's how sure they were that he was going to beat this guy who had a record of 6-5. and five. And, yeah, Jermaine McDonald is the guy's name. He was a 16-1 to one underdog. 
and he knocked out Evan Holyfield face first. And he got back up and he was completely gone and the referee waved it off and he shoved the referee and it just it was a terrible few minutes for Holyfield's son. Um, yeah, shocker, shocker. Elsewhere on the card, Kubrat Pulev got in with Jerry Forrest. Kubrat Pulev now 29-2, and two. Jerry Forrest now 26-5 and five with two draws. A unanimous decision over 10 rounds for Kubrat Pulev, and this is one of the reasons why I kept falling asleep, because Jerry Forrest, when he turned up to, 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 to the arena, they wrapped his hands, he tried to put his gloves on, and the gloves didn't fit. They were the wrong size, so that delayed it for a long time. They were trying to get him some gloves. In the end, I think Pulev ended up giving him his backup gloves, um, so he actually boxed Pulev <laughs> in Pulev's own gloves. But um, it was wild because it delayed it, I think, by about an hour because there was just so much speculation of what was going on and it was really badly miscommunicated and no one knew what was going on. I think for over two hours in the arena, there was no fights at all because there was a concert in between where I think we had... Uh, I'm not even sure. I think it might have been P. Diddy's son and it might have been someone else. I can't remember now. I don't know why they mix these concerts and boxing together. I still don't quite understand it. But anyways, Kubrat Pulev picked up the win. He completely um, dominated Forrest. I tell you, I was really quite shocked. I mean, Pulev, even though I think he's 41 or whatever, I felt that Forrest was on a bit of a high after giving... You know, a, a more than good account of himself against Michael Hunter, arguably beating Hunter, and I thought that that was going to spring him into this fight here with a lot of, you know, a lot of belief in himself, uh, which he probably hasn't had at all times in his career. But no, he could not get near Pulev. Pulev was far too good, far too good, completely controlled everything. Um, and then Sergei Kovalev. Unfortunately, I missed this one, but Sergei Kovalev. Um, weighed in at 196 and a half pounds. Obviously, it was at cruiserweight, and he boxed the younger brother of Tavel Pulev. Kubrat Pulev actually had his fight, then came out and worked the corner of his younger brother. Uh, Tavel Pulev now 16 and 1. He lost unanimously over 10 against Sergei Kovalev, who, by the way, I think was an underdog now, now I remember. I remember betting on the fight. I can't remember if he was an underdog. I think he was. I think he was an underdog or maybe about even money. Um, which I could not get my head around. I thought, well, how on earth is he... How can he be an underdog against a 16-0 fighter who's older than him just because the guy's Pulev's brother? You know, I couldn't get my head around that. And Sergei Kovalev uh, looked quite old in there from what I did see. Like, I don't mean his his style, but I mean he even looked like he'd aged a ton since i last seen him. But, um, yeah, Good stuff for him if he decides to stay at Cruiserweight, which I think he is going to do. Um, that's that one. Moving out now to the Toyota Arena in Ontario, California. It's the final card to mention. Two fights to mention over here. It was on the zone. William Zapida, 25-0 now, 26-0. A unanimous decision over 10 against Rene Alvarado, who's now 33. Sorry, 32-12. and, and 12. It was for the WBA Continental America's lightweight title. This was a fight here that I could not see going the distance at all. And sometimes when two big punchers fight, you think that it's inevitable that someone's going to go. Well, this was one of those occasions where somehow it bloody goes the distance and it costs everyone betting uh, to lose. So I lost a few a few pound notes on that one. It was, uh, it was kind of frustrating, really, because Zapida was, I think, clearly, you know, the, the better fighter. 
uh, obviously the fresher fighter and all the rest of that. I knew he'd get the decision when it went when it went the distance. But um, Alvarado, you know, still kind of got those. I guess crafty veteran little tricks and at times was old man in uh, Zapida and, and, and just landing little flashy combinations here and there, you know, letting Zapida know that he's still very much there even when he was getting tagged with big shots, which usually people take and end up on the floor from Zapida's, uh, from Zapida's gloves. But no, Alvarado was taking the punches and firing back and yeah, he kept a good poker face and I actually think that... Um, in the end, it was very, very close, you know, it really was, and um, it was a real learning fight for Zapida, I think he's going to be a much better fighter for it, but credit to Alvarado, man, he's a wily old fox, and um, yeah, I really thought that he boxed smart as well, and um, yeah, massive credit to him, it was a good fight to watch, and the main event, Gilberto Ramirez now, 44-0, a KO in round four against the severely overmatched German fighter, Dominic Bozell, who is now 32-3. and three. He was KO'd in round four, as I said. Um, it's what I expected to happen. Um, I felt that, you know, Ramirez would be way too good, really, for Bozell. Um, you know, Bozell isn't that great, to be honest. And Ramirez, since he's moved up to 175, is on a little bit of a run now in terms of knocking people out. So... Yeah, I always felt that talent-wise, it was a gross mismatch. And I felt that form-wise, Ramirez is in really good form at the moment. Even though the competition hasn't been outstanding of late, especially. Um, one thing I'll tell you, Eddie, and I don't know much about this kind of stuff. Because, you know, it's not really my field. But, you know, boxers obviously weigh in the day before the fight. Then they put on loads of weight when they're rehydrating and stuff like that. Well... I don't know if I've ever heard someone put on more weight than this. So he weighed in at one seven four um, for 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 a heavy uh, sorry light heavyweight uh, fight mm -hmm. here against Bozell. They said that when he got to the arena the next night, he'd weighed in. Sorry, he, he weighed in at one seven five. It was basically it was one seven four and three quarters, right? So let's call it one seven five. The next day. When he arrives at the arena, he weighs 204 pounds. He's put on 29 pounds Ooh. in one day. What? 29 pounds in one day. Yeah. See, that's why they have, sometimes they have those rehydration clause, clauses in the, in the contracts. Like, you remember, I don't know if you remember this fight. You're kind of young, but. Arturo Gotti and Joey Gamash. I just talked about this with somebody else. Yeah, and Arturo Gotti mentioned it before on the podcast. A few, yeah, a few yeah, back. I probably did. I, I know I was talking to somebody else about it, and it just every single time we talk about it, that comes to mind. And the reason is, if you watch how disgusting that knockout was, and how much bigger Arturo Gotti looked, it just it was a mismatch. So it's like when I see stuff like that, it's like that's why they have those clauses because people will come down from like. You know, like say from cruiserweight, like he comes down from say from from 200 pounds or two. Shoot, who knows? He could be coming down from 220 now. And thinking about how much weight he put on in one day, so it's like it's just so tough. Like it's it, and you're you're literally fighting somebody that is two weight classes above you basically because he was a heavyweight. Like you're fighting a heavyweight in a fight on the night, but the night before you you seen him weigh at 174. That's or 175. It's incredible. And they gotta have these clauses. You gotta make these guys at least have to 
to some degree make some kind of weight. Not necessarily like, oh, you gotta, you can't eat or you can't live, like you know, be comfortable. But you gotta, you gotta, you gotta have something because those types of things that you know, you're fighting somebody out of your weight. You might as well just go fight heavyweight then. You know what I'm saying? So it's just it's unfortunate for for the other guy. I just you know, I feel bad. But that's what I've been dealing with my entire career, so <laughs> can't feel too bad. Yeah. I mean, I just thought, wow, 29 pounds in a day, that's insane. And I believe they weighed the other guy, and he was, on the day of the fight, um, around about the mid-180s. So on the actual night, there was about a 20-pound difference in there. Um, yeah, crazy, crazy. And he looked a lot bigger, of course. Um, anyway, that is it, though, for the review part of the show. The final thing for me to do is to welcome this week's special guest. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome the hard-hitting, lightweight contender. It is, of course, Mr. Keith Hunter. Keith, welcome back on the show, my man. And it's glad to be back. I appreciate you, Joey Boxhard, my man. <laughs> my man, my man. So, Keith, we haven't spoke since uh, since back in January of 2020, so it's been quite uh, quite a while since we had you on the show. It was just before that rematch against Sanjabek Rachmanov. What an excellent performance you put yes. in. Uh, that night, by the way. But, yeah, <coughs> since then, including that Rachmanov fight, you've boxed five times, including, of course, uh, going on the road to Mexico and controversially losing your O. What happened there, for those mm -hmm. that don't know, Keith? Man, um, <laughs> good question. Um, I really try to be as truthful and as honest. I hate to use and throw around the word robbery because it's already saturated. Um, but um, basically it was scheduled for eight rounds and it did go the distance. Um, I felt like I did my job um, as far as winning him on points, but I did um, lose a point in one of the rounds. They, they deducted me uh, or took off a point due to stiff arming, which um, me being a longer person, I've, I use my arms in order to get out of, you know, um, or to keep my distance and to get out of, you know, tight spaces. So the fact that I was in his backyard and uh, he stood up for eight rounds, you know, um, I, you can't win them all in the backyard. So I felt like I just justifiably actually went down there and won. But uh, there were little variables that, you know, um, on my side, as far as not having my, my trainer and and little things and not the, mainly on the business side, make, making sure I didn't have protection as far as going in. The judges didn't know me. They were all Mexico based. They were all really his hometown in San Los Lagos. So, you know, um, I came up technically a little short. I, again, in my heart, I felt like I won it. So, um, but they, they were able to put that on my record. Um, they did that so that's the whole little gist with that that l taking it out there but it was a real learning it was a lesson for me and again since we last spoke you've kind of as i said gone down from 140 to 135 i always thought that you were kind of big really for 140 and was really surprised to see you go down in weight is lightweight going to be your weight class now uh, moving forward <laughs> um, you are correct. Um, I did come down um, from 47 originally campaigning um, in the beginning of my career at 47. And um, slowly I've been getting advised 
to you know make the weight at a lower weight. Um, originally, I'm a I'm a, a skinny. I I was a skinny person who managed to gain muscle through boxing or managed to gain you know my strength through boxing. I wasn't a some guys are you know bigger or fat and then get skinny, and I was the opposite. So that's why I'm able to really you know lose these pounds and stay around there. I do plan on you know right now I'm I'm stepping on the scale at 135 and not starving, you know, I'm actually, you know, I can make it pretty easy. So that is the money weight right now. And that is where it's interesting. And that's where I want to stick my foot at in the game for a while longer, see what I can accomplish there. But um, it'll be really 35 and 40 at this, at, at this moment is where my interest lies. Okay, excellent, man. And let's talk about your most recent fight, April 29th. It was, um, of course, live on Fight TV. I watched it. It was obviously in Vegas. Um, you boxed the previously mm-hmm. undefeated Demarius Driver. Uh, you beat him, yes. of course, unanimously over 10. How did it feel to take somebody else's O for the first time? Uh, <laughs> uh, that's a good question, too. Um, having my, my zero taken away from me, um, it's really... You know, I, I really, when I lost, um, I beat myself. You know, I, he didn't really, that opponent didn't really necessarily beat me. But that, that gave me, um, you know, I can't lose no more, technically. Um, meaning I, I, I've dedicated myself and that gave me a lot more discipline in areas for myself to make sure that doesn't happen. So the fact that now that I'm past losing my own zero, now to reflect on taking now I accept it, you know, um, having a blemish record. Now to to flips on the other side of the coin is to take someone else's zero after having mine's taken away. You know, it is I I do um, like that accomplishment that I that I have achieved. But you know, um, really I've just I hope that that was a good enough performance to really, you know, t- take on the headline. You know, the people who are at 135 like Haney and Cambosis and Shakur Stevenson and Tank Davis or Rolando all of those guys you know I'm just working to, to get into the the pool and the realms and the talks and the conversation in in there and hopefully that was a good you know taking his zero away hopefully kind of got me a little closer to that yeah, and just an, another real interesting fact, obviously a loss early on, you know, as I've said many times before, can either kind of make you or break you. Uh, your brother lost okay. his 13th pro fight. You lost your 14th pro fight, so that's close there. Damn, okay. Yeah. <laughs> I know, um, okay, yeah, I see how you're looking at it. And in the ring, Keith, in the, in the ring against Driver, one thing I noticed is you know, sometimes we, we, we all know it as fans. We watch on and sometimes when a boxer lands a good punch, normally the guy that gets hit shakes his head and it gives it away. But with Driver, every time he got hit, he seemed to poke his tongue out. It was a bit strange. What did you make of that? Uh, um, you know, I didn't really know too much about him. I had no life experiences inside or outside of the ring. Um, so I didn't really know his character at all besides of what people possibly were telling me and then the videos I could actually look up on the internet. It did show that he had a, um, like uh, he had a tendency to, you know, um, voice his opinions more than other people. When I looked them out, when I looked them up before I was gonna fight him, I could kind of see that he was a mouthy person, 
but I, what you don't see is that I guess some people will label label him as kind of like a clown or a funny guy or you know he's not he doesn't always take things serious so the fact that when he took you know a good punch on the chin then he stuck his tongue out you know some people's characters are designed in different ways you know they're not always take situations seriously they so I found we found out that he during my situation of fighting him that he was really just playing a clown role. He didn't really want to take things serious. He kind of just wanted to take me light or, you know, until things got a little bit um, stressful for him. So that, that kind of, um, his character was able to, I was able to expose it through the fight by him sticking out his tongue like that. That's kind of what I see it as. And, and Keith, during the fight, you started to really target Driver's body from about round five. Uh, was that part of the game plan? Because prior to that, I felt my, my constructive uh-huh. criticism was, was that you was a little bit, um, I guess, stuck in headhunting mode early on. <laughs> correct, correct, correct. Um, before entering the ring, um, I did have a game plan of going to the body, but um, being in consistent as far as fighting and inactive um you know I I do sometimes fall in love with my power um when I touch a guy you know as opposed to had I had the you know been able to fight you know more regularly I would be able to you know calm down a little bit just by you know being active but um it was definitely a learning curve you know when I touched him I thought I thought he was for sure going to go down with at least two or three shots you know, of my right hands. So he, he was able to, to stand upright, you know, due to, to multiple factors. But, you know, he, he was able to stand upright, and I gave his chin a good test that night. Yeah, you certainly did. And now that you just <laughs> mentioned there about falling in, in love with your power, it's actually uh, sparked a memory. Now that now that um, I said the last time we spoke was just before okay. that, that Rachmanoff rematch, I remember that was a fight where you hurt your, your hand or your shoulder. And while you were fighting as a one, one-armed fighter, that was actually the best boxing I'd seen you uh, display up oh, until wow. that point. Because I felt you were so good with one hand because you were just boxing. And that is where I thought, wow, like you don't always see this with you because sometimes you have fell in love with the power a little bit um mm-hmm. moving on getting 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 uh, back to the present here um uh-huh. no, i think that driver was was a good fighter i hadn't heard of him but clearly he had skills you know good movement a really good chin as you alluded to and he could potentially cause a lot of guys problems it was it was a really good win um your older brother michael uh-huh. worked your corner and i should know the answer to this question I really am mm-hmm. embarrassed that I don't know it, but is that the first time that Mike was properly in your corner? Ooh, uh, that's actually a good question. Because uh, uh, without giving a, a, a immediate answer, I I want to say that he has, but honestly, I'm not really. I think that was the first time he worked my corner. If he has that I can't remember, then he would have come down or came down to Mexico in my early stages of my career. But as far as you know, something on this platform and on this scale of this importance um, at this point, this is the very first time he worked my corner, you know, outside of Mexico, if had he did it prior to. Yeah, this would be the first time. Okay, mm-hmm. Cool. And the fight itself, like I say, the, the last real question on the fight itself, 
Um, I actually had the, the the fight scored 4-4 after eight rounds, and I gave you round nine and ten, okay. Keith. So for me, you, you, oh, you okay. pinched it 6-4. Uh, the last round was crazy. Obviously, you caught him with that huge right hand. He was out on his feet. For the rest mm. of the round, he was backpedaling. He was wobbly. He kept looking up at the clock, and what mm. a chin. Um, but no, <laughs> it, was a, it was a great win, obviously. And you gave him game. four rounds, huh? I gave him four rounds. <laughs> okay. Well, I, I could see, I could see maybe three, four is pushing it, but I, I can't debate too much with that one either. I understand respectfully. I, I get what you're saying. Four rounds, huh? Some, sometimes I'm right. harsh on the people that I love. <laughs> but I mean, uh, I, all right. I like that you were so honest because that's what I, I appreciate more than anything. The honesty that you gave him four rounds, but then the fact that I did close it strongly on the last two rounds there's no debate there no for sure for sure and not this not this coming weekend but next weekend um Keith, a man that you sparred in the past, Javante Tank Davis, defends his lightweight world title against Rolando <laughs> Romero from Vegas. Um, I don't know if you know Romero personally, but how do you see the fight going? Um, I actually um, sparred Romero too in the past. Oh, wow. Um, at okay. different times. That's what not too many people do know is that different times I did spar them. I had uh, some small, very small ring experiences as far as sparring at Floyd Mayweather's gym both of them at different complete times and stages of their career where they have both uh, developed um, from the time that I had got in there with them. Personally with Ramiro, I, I was going, I was set to fight him and I have text messages of him and his team kind of ducking me and, and saying I was too big. Um, but yet knowing I can make the weight. So it, that is interesting on my side that they kind of don't want no parts of me, but um, you're now you're asking who do I, think will win the fight yeah yeah how do you see it playing out a lot okay. of people think uh, it's a whitewash for davis <laughs> um yes davis i believe ultimately is going to come out uh, victorious he's going to have his hand raised now in the fashion of a knockout um i do believe he can accomplish that as well but um rolando is He's outside of whoever likes his character or not, um, just trying to assess his boxing abilities. Um, he is not a traditional boxer. He kind of is a slugger and a brawler who tries to use angles and box, which would, with that being said, is going to give Tank Davis some adversities, some obstacles. He's not going to flatline. Uh, I don't think either of them are going to, knock each other out because I heard Romero thinks he's going to get Tank out of there in the first round and vice versa. I don't think nobody's going to get each other out of there in the very first three rounds at least. It's a potential. It is a high potential. But I just think that uh, we'll at least see a good five rounds before uh, somebody actually, just because of the styles of both of them, we'll actually see a couple rounds before, before they actually um, start to really let their hands fly. Okay, well, we're all looking forward to it. I'm sure it's going to be exciting while it lasts. And also, um, your brother against Huey Fury, we're hearing that an announcement is close. <laughs> Obviously, it's not been officially announced just yet, but what can you tell us about that from your from your angle, Keith? 
Um, and what are you asking specifically as far as if, if he's taking the fight or how does that go down or, or what? Yeah, I guess how does that go down? I mean, it's it's a good fight for Mike. I think him coming over to mm-hmm. the UK as well is, is a good thing from a yes. selfish point of view for me, but also for his career. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I got you. I hear you. Uh, um, okay, now I get what you're saying. Um, I have very little information uh, as well because it's still in the beginning of of you know um, hearing and uh, him telling me about the fight, but basically, um, to my knowledge right now, he is taking it. He is going over there, Michael. He's already traveled on a amateur and a professional level um, across the world to face different types of styles and opposition. So um, it would just be um, you know my brother taking the actual proper time, which. I think they're they're allowing it's enough time for him to get it ready and prepare, you know, for uh, Fury. Fury, I don't really have too much information on Huey Fury. I just know he's a big guy, and um, I don't think he really uses his length too much uh, to the maximum. But he's he, I think he's tough and he's a big guy. But my brother does better with those big guys as opposed to guys his size. Yeah, yeah, I think that's a fair point, to be honest. I can't really argue with that. It's a fight that um, I cannot wait to see. Um, hopefully, the announcement <laughs> is, is, um, is coming real soon. And just finally, Keith, before we let you go, if you've got any closing words, just, just to the listeners before we wrap it up, uh, say whatever you like, my friend. Uh, man, I just want to uh, take this time to appreciate you always following me from you know the very early stages of my career until this point now, you know, um, you are very good for boxing and the culture of boxing and the way you push it and your unique truths, um, you know, and the way you view the fight game is uniquely your own, you know? So I always would have extra time and to, to, you know, politic and actually just kick it with you. So I just really, it's just this last message, just appreciation to Joey box hard for holding me down this time and and for the duration of my career so i'll make sure i'll I'll always be you know available to you joey hey i appreciate those words keith i truly do it's always a pleasure speaking with you family uh keep working hard and winning of course and we'll speak again soon i'm sure hit my line anytime one call that's all okay now it's time for part two on this week's show this part of course the news part of the show Going to really keep it brief on this, but two British world champions, or former world champions, I should say, have decided to retire pretty much about one or two days apart from each other. And those men, of course, being Kelbrook and Amir Khan. We're not going to see that rematch. There was no real need for it in the end. But Kelbrook retires from boxing. Um, Kelbrook. I'm just going to keep it so brief and I almost feel like I'm doing both men a disservice because they they deserve much more than the brief sentence that they're going to get out of me this week. But there's just not enough time to go in detail just yet on this. But Kel Brook, obviously, you know, was was quite a, quite a padded record for a number of years. But, you know, come through fights in good fashion. When he did get his opportunity, went on the road to California, uh, went out there and got his opportunity against Sean Porter and boxed, you know, to an excellent, uh, excellent game plan. 
Then, of course, when he's celebrating his win, he ends up getting uh, stabbed in the leg. They said he might never walk again. Don't think he's going to box again. His career's going to be over. He managed to come back from that and, you know, get a few defenses of the title. So that was amazing to see him still, you know, still be a world champion throughout all of that heartbreak there uh, for him and his family. And then, of course, goes on and shows huge balls to step in at middleweight, moved up two weight classes to take on Gennady Golovkin, ended up paying for it in more ways than one when he had his eye socket fractured. Then he comes back in his very next fight against Errol Spence and gets his other eye socket fractured. You know, he went for a period where he wasn't uh, wasn't very fortunate and obviously he lost his world title to Errol Spence, who still has that title to this day. Um... And then, yeah, from that point onwards, I mean, ups and downs, really. I mean, he won fights, but he didn't look spectacular, and it seemed like he's over the hill. And then, of course, he was dreadful against Terence Crawford. And then, you know, he had the fight with Amir Khan, which is a fight that he has wanted for years and years and years and years and years. And he managed to do what he wanted to do with Amir Khan and stop him um, in, you know, in a packed arena and, you know, it was on pay-per-view, of course, in the UK. It could have been a much bigger fight if it was made five years earlier. But he managed to get what he wanted, what he set out for. And I think that meant to him, uh, that that meant to, meant, meant, that to him meant more than winning a world title again. Or winning the world title, perhaps even for the first time on the road in the USA. As for Amir Khan... It's going to be brief, and it feels like a disservice massively, but one of the best fighters, um, you know, one of the, the, the best fighters we have produced as a nation for, for many, 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 many years. I mean, some people, he's kind of like Marmite, we say over here. You either love him or hate him. And I was a Khan lover. I mean, I... I think he does need to stay retired. Don't want to see him coming back. But yeah, he's been past it for years now. Let's be completely honest. He's been past it for years. Should have never should have never even fought um Terence Crawford. He was past it then. But I tell you what, you just as I say, there's some people that hate him, and I will never understand how you can hate this guy. This guy had balls bigger than than life itself at times, you know. The the fact that he went out there and, you know, balls to the wall sparring with Manny Pacquiao when he was like 21 or 22 years of age or whatever it was. And then, of course, goes on to take on the, the kind of fighters that he did. Many world champions, Zab Judas, Devin Alexander, um, um, Paulie Malinagis, and all these other guys. Marcus Maidana, of course. I mean, God, like, we never got the Floyd fight, and that would have been fun. But um, other than that, I mean, yeah, Canelo... It was just unbelievable. What a brave fighter. There will never be another one like that, I don't think. And it's sad that he is underappreciated by so many people in this country. And I really don't know why. He's a quality guy inside and outside of the ring. And he's done so much for charity. Not just in his own country as well. Even when... Um this whole war kicked off with Russia and Ukraine. He flew out to somewhere. I think it was uh, maybe a maybe a country next to Ukraine that were taking in, you know, Ukrainian children and stuff. And he went out there and built them a playground, like to, to you know, a nice playground right outside their houses. The guy is just completely selfless, and 
it's it's sad that people hate on him because he's never ever done anything to deserve any of the hate. He's a tremendous fighter and man, and it's sad they 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 both retiring at the right time. I mean, Khan should have retired years ago. Brook, he's never going to top a moment like what he did against Amir Khan, beating him like that. So. Sad to see them both retire because they were both greats, but especially Amir Khan. I mean, what a legend of British boxing. Um, anyway, that's it for the news part of the show. Sorry if that was a disservice. I tried to talk as much as I could. None of it's pre-planned. It's all just off the top of my head. And yeah, sad to see them both go. Both massively uh, made their made their mark in British boxing. And I'm a huge fan of both, which not many people are. I'm a huge fan of both. Um, I enjoyed watching Kel's fights. I enjoyed watching Khan. You had to watch through your fingers most of the time. Um, anyway, moving on, like I say, to tomorrow night, Friday, May the 20th, at the Bilbao Arena in Bilbao, uh, Spain. It's going to be on the zone. We have Kerman Lejarraga, uh, 34 and 2, getting in with another Brit. This time, James Metcalf, who's 22 and 2. It's over 10 rounds there. Something about Leharagri just loves beating up British guys. So um, hopefully, one of the Brits can finally beat him, because the only guy he's lost to is is um, is David Avenesian. Um, elsewhere on the card, a, a, a young lady that is 4-0 called Rhiannon Dixon, who, like I say, is 4-0 in a 6-2 minute rounds contest against Majuba Ubtil, who's also undefeated and also is 4-0, but hopefully Rhiannon Dixon can do the job. Um, she's trained by Joe Gallagher, and a few fighters have gone out there to Spain and lost on these undercards as well, and I think... One female went out there last time. There was a there was a matchroom Spain card, and I can't remember who it was now, but I think it was Amy Timlin. She went out there and lost in Spain, so we want to see our girls win on the road. Um, yeah, moving out now to another one that takes place tomorrow night. This one's at the York Hall in Bethnal Green. It's going to be live on BT Sport. Brad Foster, fourteen and one with two draws, getting in with Iron Up Baluta, who's fourteen and three. And like I said, in his last three fights, he's boxed. Um, Irishman or or, or uh, Northern Irish fighters. He is fourteen and three. Like I say, been in there with Michael Conlon, been in there with David Oliver Joyce, been in there with TJ Doheny. Um, that's for the vacant WBC International Super Bantamweight title. Um, nothing really to mention on the undercard, to be completely honest. Uh, moving out now to the White Sands Event Center in Plant City, Florida. Uh, I'm not sure who is promoting or what the company are behind this this uh, event, but this event is being promoted by a company that I'm pretty sure involves a few former fighters. I think it's, I want to say it's Paulie Malinagi, Roy Jones Jr., Antonio Tava, and maybe one or two others that have formed this, this company if I'm not mistaken, and they are putting on these fights. So anyway, uh, the, the main event is actually Fan Long Meng of China, 17-0 in a 12-rounder against Jean Pascal, friend of the show, 35-6 and with a draw. Um, Jean Pascal is actually a 2-1 to underdog there, so that might be interesting for anyone that wants to put some money on that. Um, moving out now to Germany at the Incel Park Hall we've got Zan Kosobutski who I believe is 17 and 0 with 16 KOs he's in a 10 rounder against Johan Duhalpus who is now 
Um, 39 and 6 these days. Looking for win number 40 here. Probably not going to come, but it's for the vacant WBC International Heavyweight title. Can't see that one going the distance. Moving out now to the Estadio Francisco Villa in Morelia, Michoacan, Mexico. Uh, Mexico. Friend of the show, Carlos Molina, 38 and 12 with two draws. He is promoting the show and fighting in the main event over 10 rounds against Jimmy Williams, who's 18 and 7 with two draws. The American fighter there. All the best to Carlos, good friend of mine, of course. Moving out now, Eddie, I'm going to come to you for this one at the Coca Cola Arena in Dubai. This one was supposed to take place in Africa. I think it was going to be taking place in Ghana, if I'm not mistaken. And it's been moved to Dubai. Doesn't make any sense at all. And the fight itself, I think, the loser has nowhere to go. The loser perhaps should think about retirement. And that sounds harsh. I'm not sure if you know who I'm talking about here, but we're going to see Tevin Farmer, 30-5 and five with a draw in a 10-rounder against Mickey Bay, 23-3 and three with a draw. Both men, former world champions, um, both men have kind of been frozen out of their respective weight classes. Uh, I think they're both in the same weight classes these days. But anyway, both guys have been frozen out, I'd say, um, in recent times for not much, not much, for not much... Uh, for not much wrong, I guess I'd say. Tevin Farmer obviously lost to Jojo Diaz and hasn't really had much luck since then. And Mickey Bay, I remember him losing to George Cambosos and it was pretty much because he got dropped and there was a 10-8 round in there and that's why Cambosos beat him on points. And Cambosos now, of course, look where he is. So, um, yeah, they haven't done much wrong but they found themselves... In no man's land, and now they're they've gone they've gone from uh, gonna be fighting in Africa to fighting in Dubai, and I think the loser's in a really bad spot in in that fight there, Eddie. Yeah, I can agree, man. It's gonna be tough, and the messed up part is they're both good quality fighters with um you know talented, you know what I mean, and you would say upside, and you would normally think in a situation where. You know, there's, you know, sky's the limit because they've both been tied list and, you know, it's just, but it, it, they are at a crossroads and you don't want to go down from where they are because then it's hard to find your way back up. And, uh, you know, for Tevin, and obviously I have a vested interest, you know, well, I don't say that, not necessarily, but, you know, and my guy, Ann, is, is with them. So um, I'm definitely supporting Tevin. He's a good dude and, and he's a good quality fighter. I actually, I've met, I think I've met Mickey Bay. I can't remember. I know my brother fought his his brother, and, and when we were kids in the amateurs. But um, they're talented, and I've seen I've seen you know both guys have you know great performances and do good things, and then other nights that wasn't so favorable. So I'm just hoping that Tevin can get in there and be as you'd be a hundred percent what he needs to be to win the fight. But it is going to be a difficult fight. It's not going to be an easy one for him. You know what I mean? Both both are pretty good boxers, good talented, slick guys. And uh, it's going to take it's going to take an A-plus effort for Tevin to win, just as well as it is going to take one for uh, Mickey to win, too. So I'm um, just looking forward to it. I do want to, I definitely want to see it. And I, I, I want to see Tevin win because I want Ed to continue to be able to, you know, go to these things and, 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 and to continue his, you know, a, pushing his brand to the top as well as uh, I just want to see Tevin as a good good fighter and a good young guy get back to the title. So it's a good situation. I'm looking forward to it. It's a good fight. It's an interesting fight. Um, definitely looking forward to seeing it. 
Yeah, and Tevin Farmer's one of those guys I think you could actually make a movie out of one day when it's all said and done. The fact that he never really took boxing seriously at all. And he was just picking up losses almost for fun. He didn't really care about training. And then he turns it all round, becomes... Um, well, firstly, turns it all round, gets in position to fight for a world title, fights for a world title. Um, that's when he loses, but the opponent was on some kind of drug and then it goes down as a no contest and he probably should have won that fight to begin with anyway but didn't get it then he gets another opportunity to fight for a world title and gets shot in the hand of all places <laughs> then he comes back and wins a world title so um yeah i think there, there could be a hollywood movie in there somewhere there's been hollywood movies about much much less interesting things um on the undercard as well the mighty midget Tremaine Williams, 19-1, and one, friend of the show. I think he's got the one loss to... Oh, damn. He's got the one loss to Angelo Leo, I think it was, for the world title. Um, so, yeah, Tremaine Williams looking to get back to the top in a 10-rounder against Isaac Saki, who's 25-2 and two with a draw. So, a few friends of the show on that card there in Dubai. Uh, moving out to this one here. It's on zone on Saturday night. Joshua Boatsy topping the bill, 15-0. and 0. A man that lived two roads away from me when we were kids. He gets in with Craig Richards, friend of the show, 17-2 and two with a draw. That's over 12 rounds there. There's a hell of a lot on the line for both guys. There's local rivalry, local bragging rights. Um, Joshua Boatsy, obviously Olympic bronze medalist, hasn't put a foot wrong as a pro. You know, tipped for big, big, big things. But his progression has been so painfully slow. And this is his moment to prove to the world that he is certainly deserving of that hype that's been around him for years and years. So, you know, he, he come out of those Olympics in 20, uh, 2016. It's been a long time. It's been six years, man, and he's only had 15 fights. Um, Craig Richards as well, you know, has that loss recently. I think it was, um, was it just about summer of last year when he went the distance with Dimitri Bivol in a really really close fight and now Bivol has just beaten Canelo so Craig Richards wants to beat Buatzi and say yeah I am the top dog at 175 in the country on the undercard Alan Babich 10-0 and the savage in a 12 rounder against Adam Bowski who's 16-1 and um Elsewhere on the card, friend of the show, Robbie Davies Jr., 22-3, and and a 10-rounder against Javier Molina, 22-4. and That's over 10 there for the WBA Continental Super Lightweight title. Uh, friend of the show, Chantel Cameron, she was on last week's show. She's in a 10-2-minute round contest, defending her WBC and IBF World Female Super Lightweight titles. She looked fantastic in her last fight against Mary McGee. She gets in with Victoria Noelia Bustos, who's 23-6, and never been stopped. Knowing how Chantel Cameron thinks, I think she's going to probably try to get her out of there. Um, Ellie Scottney as well, 4-0 in a... In a um, 10 two-minute round contest against Maria Roman, who is 16-6 and six with a draw. Neither girl has been involved in a fight that's ended in a knockout. So Ellie Scottney, 4-0, all on points. And Maria Cecilia Roman, 16-6 and six with a draw. Um, 
all on points. Never ever been knocked out or never even been in the ring while a knockout's happened. Um, anyway, yeah, so I can see that one going the distance. Um, John Hedges as well on the card, 5-0. and um, Yeah, that's about it really, I think, for that one. Moving out now to the Gila River Arena. Uh, this one takes place... Uh, on Showtime, that is, by the way, in Arizona. Another friend of the show, David Benavidez, topping the card, 25-0. and 0. It's the Battle of the Davids. He defends. Um, in fact, I'm not sure he defends it. I think it's I think it's vacant, if I'm not mistaken. But it's the WBC Interim World Super Middleweight title. David Lemieux, the opponent, 43-4, and 4, over 12 rounds there. On the undercard, we've got Victor Ortiz, 32-7 and 7 with three draws in a 10-rounder against Todd Manuel, who is 20-19 and 19 with a draw. Richardson Hitchens, 13-0 in a 10-rounder against Angel Rodriguez, who's 12-10 and 10 with three draws. That's about it for that one. And then the final card to mention takes place at the Results World Las Vegas in Las Vegas, Nevada, USA. Not sure if it's going to be on TV just yet, so I'm not sure what's going on with that. Um, I want to say it's going to be... No, I'm sure it will be on TV. No, no, I think it's a top-ranked show, so it should be on on, uh, Sky over here. I'll have to double-check that one, but it should be on ESPN or ESPN Plus or whatever out there. So ignore what I said originally. But anyway, on this one, we've got... Um, friend of the show, Jamel Herring, 23-3 and in the fight back after losing his world title to Shakur Stevenson. He's in a 10-rounder against an undefeated fighter, 15-0 and with a draw. Jermaine Ortiz and the main event, Zanibek Alim Kanuli, 11-0. One of the most exciting, I guess, prospects, if you want to call him that. Some people would, would class him as a contender already. Um, yeah, one of the most exciting guys. He's in a 12-rounder against Britain's very own Danny Dignam, who's 14-0 and with a draw. I think most people feel that Dignam is very much out of his depth here, but um, I mean, this is what you're in boxing for to take risks. He's getting in here for the WBO interim world middleweight title, so all the best to Danny Dignam, but I think it's a very, very tall order for him but anyway that is it though for the preview part of the show in part one we did the review part there was a lot to go over we welcomed our special guest which of course was keith hunter very good friend of mine and then in part two we brought you the news which was pretty much discussing amir khan and kel brooks retirements which they hated each other so bad then they had a fight then they shook hands and had a had a nice hug and now they've retired within days of each other it is such a fairy tale this sport and then it's it's been topped off there with the preview part of the show and there was a lot to go over there as well the final thing for me to do is to come in with the outro which i'm gonna do in just a couple seconds Okay, and this wraps up episode 344 of the Box Hard Podcast. I've been your host, Joey Coastman. Eddie Chambers has been with me for the duration of the show. A special thank you to this week's special guest, the hard-hitting lightweight slash super lightweight contender, Mr. Keith Hunter. The biggest thanks of all, though, goes out to you, the listeners. That's about everything from myself. Enjoy your weekends, people. Stay safe, and we shall see you all again next week.